4: Second time he's done, oh. never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those guys.
1: And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad.
4: So he's almost like having a second captain in the team.
0: Second captain, first captain, whatever. When a professional golfer chasing a major championship has to warn the fans alongside him to give him some more space for their own safety, it's usually not a very good sign. When it happens shortly after hitting a tee shot described by the on-course TV commentator as the worst he's ever seen, you probably have to start worrying. And when the golfer in question has already thrown away a big lead and started showing all the telltale signs of final-day meltdown, you really gotta think it's probably all over for him. But in the case of Jordan Spieth yesterday, it was just a little precursor to one of the most amazing streaks of golf in. Major Championship History. Thanks for listening to Monday's Second Captains Podcast. Owen and Ken here. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? I'm good. Murph's not here. He is so overcome with the shock of Galway sticking four goals past Donegal yesterday that he's taken the week off to recover. Either that or he's on a boat in Sicily again. I'm not sure which to believe anymore, to be honest with you. Speed. Okay, Jordan Speed. His tee shot was so wild that it ended up in an unplayable lie about 120 yards to the right of where he was aiming. He takes a one-shot penalty for it being in an unplayable lie. And was then allowed to hit his next shot from the practice ground. Because that's the first clear sight line that he was able to get, essentially. There are all these Sky TV trucks in the way of where he wanted to take the... You know, where, where he was supposed to take the drop from. So that second drop is... Fr- that second little break is free. He doesn't have to take a second penalty drop to bring it all the way back to the practice ground. It's still a long way away from the hole, though. And he manages to somehow get it close enough to the green that he could make it up and down, limit the damage to a bogey. From there, now trading by a shot having been running up and down this mound that was in between him and the hole for ages, having looked like... Jordan Smith is quite an an unflappable character, Mm -hmm. but he appeared flappable during this 20, 25-minute, half an hour maybe, little sojourn. After all of that happening, out of nowhere he decides, yeah, I'm just going to hit very nearly a hole in one in the next hole, take a birdie there. Uh, An eagle putt on the 15th and about 30 yards. Another long birdie on 16. And just when Matt Cuchar drains a 12-footer on the 17th, to ask another little question of Spieth, he answers with another birdie, takes a two-shot lead to the 18th hole, and wraps it up from there. Is that good? What? What to win? <laughs> to 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 almost fall apart. To complete. Okay, it's a sports person who looks like they are in the middle of a, in a sporting sense, uh, some sort of a psychological breakdown. Yeah, they've lost a lot of shots. Nothing drastically bad had happened up until the 13th, so it wasn't as though he see, he had a quadruple bogey in the Masters last year. Mm. This is a guy who, by the way, uh, by what age was he, 21, 20, when he was winning those first two, uh, two majors? So he's phenomenal and phenomenally, uh, almost preternaturally calm on the golf course, which is why everybody assumed last year in the major, in the Masters, when he was coasting towards victory, that it would be no problem and he'd, he'd finish it off, or that he would coast towards victory. Hits a quadruple bogey, collapses in that round. Nothing had happened until the 13th, quite a spectacular this time. Then that happens. He hits this, he has this misadventure in the 13th hole. So you're assuming, okay, already he's dropped a load of shots. Now he's had this complete nightmare yeah. somehow escape with a bogey. It's, at best, he's going to be able to steady himself. And I didn't think he was, to be honest. I did tweet that these Jordan Speed breakdowns are quite enjoyable to watch. Just when somebody who's so unflappable suddenly looks like they're...
4: Well, I have to say, from everything you've been saying, he yeah. didn't sound unflappable to me. I mean, he sounds like a, a disaster. He sounds like he's all over the place, Jordan Spieth. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, don't, I don't see where this Iceman sort of images coming No, from. it's not
0: Iceman. That's the point. It's the opposite in this case. He somehow manages to rest, wrestle his mind away from where it was clearly going for 13 holes of the round and then become the Iceman again for the last five. Mm. An eagle birdie, 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 par.
4: Well, you know, it's, he is... Obviously- a hard
0: man to impress, Ken, if this Jordan Spieth... Well, I he's, he's a more think.
4: tempestuous man than he's given credit for. Yeah, that could actually be true. Just because he looks like a, an investment banker in his uh, late yeah. 30s. You know, the, the kind of investment banker who would do triathlons. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, there always seemed to be a bit of a, like, Speeth was Iceman and Rory McIlroy was yeah. Maverick. Yeah. Whereas, in fact, uh, Speeth is a bit more like Dennis Burkamp, who was also nicknamed the Iceman despite being a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> was he a psychopath? <laughs> but Bergkamp was Bergkamp liked to throw an elbow. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a stamper and an elbower, a pincher and a hair puller.
0: Yeah, he looked after himself, he had to do that as a striker in that era.
4: Yeah, you know, he he was a he was an emotional man who was capable of composing himself to produce brilliance. Yeah. Um, that seems to be more the kind of ice man Jordan Speeth is. What uh, what
0: happened to McRoy? Well he finished tied for fourth mm mm-hmm. On um, Five hundred Seven shots behind Jordan Spieth, although at one stage it did look as though if McElroy could get in on six under, he could have a chance because Spieth was falling apart. We weren't sure what was going to happen with Kuchar. There was an outside chance at one point that you could end up getting a playoff in six under, but that wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, McIlroy, he left a few shots out there, as the cliche goes, over the weekend. So he certainly wasn't a nice man himself. No. He was wildly up and down himself over the course of those few rounds there but incredible stuff by Speed. we've got a GAA show today if you're part of the World Service you'll be hearing US Murph's breakdown of the British Open on tomorrow's pod Brian was in top form last week we found out that he shares our disdain for the Mexican wave as a form of fan entertainment Brian explained the various theories of where the wave as it's known in America came from
1: Cheerleader named Crazy George—that's crazy with a K, my friends—K K-R-A-Z-Y, Y—who is actually rather entertaining. He's a balding man who walked around with a drum and led crazed cheers. I'm actually a Crazy George fan, and he invented the wave. And in fact, he would tell you that he first did it at a San Jose Earthquakes game uh, back in, like, I want to say the late '70s, and then he brought it to the Oakland A's in '81 80, or '82. So now you got a tug-of-war between the University of Washington football fans. you got a tug-of-war between Oakland A's baseball fans. Then you got old North American Soccer League fans who say they were doing it before that with crazy Georgia-San Jose earthquake games. It becomes a tremendously fascinating archaeological dig into the Wave. But by no means, my friend, by no means, with the 1986 World Cup in Mexico, I know that was Maradona's World Cup, the hand of God, the whole deal. By no means was that the debut of the Wave. And I say that as a wave hater, guys. I am a hater of the wave. It drives me crazy at baseball games. I don't like it at all. But I do want proper respect paid to the, uh, the United States of America. Make America wave again. That's be my <laughs>
0: slogan. Come on, admit it. You miss US Murph if you're not signed up to the World Service yet. All you have to do to be reunited with the lovable yank is the sign-up. Six- the lovable yank? Yes. Okay. Six shows a week. Six pods a week. <laughs> What's wrong with that again? For just a five or a month that va- all the details on secondcaptains.com. The lovable yank. Uh, another perk of World Service <laughs> membership, by the way, is advance notice for tickets to our live shows. The rest of you will be hearing about our upcoming Sugar Club show on today's football podcast. World Service members, if they were listening on Friday, have already heard the details on that one. We've got an email in on the Mexican Wave Phenomenon here from a World Service member who would prefer to remain anonymous. Possibly in fear of being labelled scumbag of the week, I don't know. This person was at the famous Ireland-USSR game at Euro 88, Ken. Yeah. Das IF was in goals and close to unbeatable in those days, unless you were Van Basten, says Anon. Ireland were playing brilliant stuff, but it was hard to imagine how we'd score. Again, we were all positioned behind the goal, presumably this person and his friends, when the wave started. I think there may even have been two waves on the goal at the same time. As a youthful curmudgeon, I refused to participate but I was in a small minority. That small minority were the only people who actually saw Ronnie Whelan's Wonder Goal. Most of the crowd were doing or watching the wave. I was looking for video evidence to confirm my recollection and lo and behold, I found not just pictures, but direct eyewitness testimony from no less than the great commentator Brian Moore himself.
4: Well, oh, that wave has gone round the ground as
2: you could see. It always seems to me that crowds start that maybe when they've lost a little bit of interest in the game, but I think this is reaching now as we come towards half time again a very interesting uh, part of the match. Seeking for the Republic either to hold on or perhaps even snatch
1: one in these minutes before half time. And they've done so. It's Ronnie Whedenbach.
0: Ronnie Whelan. Wheeler.
2: Ronnie Whelan.
0: Whelan he <laughs> got there in the end. Everybody was confused, didn't the RTE coverage show John Aldridge wheeling away in celebration? It looked as though that
4: was the other goal. That was um,
0: Oh, that was sorry. That
4: was the right out and goal.
0: That was the right out and goal. Yeah. Well. Um. Got to claim credit where where credit's not. Yeah. I as mean, as it
4: didn't look like a dangerous situation. It was a throw, I think, from the left side that Mick McCarthy took. yeah Mick McCarthy coming up to take throw-ins like uh, Roy DeLapp, which maybe surprised both the Russian team and most of the other people in the stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't look like a,
0: a goal was on the cards, but there you go. Anonymous finishes by saying that should have stopped the Mexican, the Irish-Mexican waving at least forever, but sadly not. All the best. All the best indeed. Thanks for your email on editor at secondcaptons.com. We've got our All-Ireland semi-final lineup in the hurling and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Owen Kelly's on the line. Owen has the form. Owen, how are you going? Not pretty good now. And the one-man headline-creating machine this summer, Michael Deignan's in studio.
5: Jeez, I don't know what you did to me, lads, here, but... You're, a, you're, you're on a roll, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I was I was, I, I was in the background. I don't know what's going on. Well, the the, the the Sky one, I suppose, was of my own making, but I don't think I had much to do with this one. So this I...
0: one, yeah, well, you tweeted during the day. This this seems to have gotten back to Davey Fitzgerald. Sweepers should be outlawed, not the game. I love coach players to tackle and to use their heads instead of using extra backs to compensate and just to... Uh, Cover what Davey said about you and about Henry Sheffin. I think Michael Dignan and Henry have had a go. Let me say this straight out: Michael Dignan and Henry have never managed a team at a high level. The people need to wake up, so they do. If they want the same one or two teams to play hurling and be successful, that's fine. Myself and Derek McGrath are trying to bring teams to the four that haven't been to the four in a long time. It's great for the likes of Michael Dygan. He should have ha- he should have had an opinion on something recently. and He didn't have it, and he should have stood up. It's time now for Michael Dygan to stop this messing. So, what do you say to that?
5: Well, I, um, the first one, I think, uh, w- was he. Referring to the Brian Cody incident, uh, Uh, I presume so. He wouldn't answer the question he was asked after. But uh, first of all, I was on the Sunday game that night and I very openly gave my opinion, which was that it was very little in it. Uh, It was the unpopular opinion I would have thought at the time because obviously Dermot Connolly got three months for a similar uh, incident, but... um, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't even want to get into comparing Dermot Connolly's incident because I t- had to take Brian Cody's at what it was, and I thought it was very little in it. Uh,
0: so you feel that's probably what he's referring to. That's what he's saying. Just, you should have had. An I should opinion have had an opinion, right? but he did have an
5: opinion. Okay. My opinion, but obviously David didn't like my opinion because he obviously felt, and uh, that I was supporting Brian Cody, and I had been critical of him against Tipperary when, uh, when he went on the field, which I would say, was a completely different uh, type of incident. But my opinion of that was that David was wrong to go on the pitch, and he deserved the suspension he got. My opinion of Brian Cody's was that. There was nothing in it, and it didn't deserve to be suspended. That was my so. There, there so, you, was my, so you weren't just whitewashing
0: that. You weren't refusing to give an opinion on it. You feel that you did that. You, you <coughs>
5: well, decide, decided clearly, that
0: there did, didn't that there wasn't an issue, and that he shouldn't be suspended.
5: Yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I thought there was nothing in it, and uh, I thought it would have been a joke if he was suspended. So obviously, David didn't like that. So I just, I just think the whole thing. Look, yesterday I had a, probably a different view, but this morning, like, how you could within a few minutes of losing an All Ireland quarterfinal uh, you come up with this so obviously it, it nearly had to be a form of premeditation uh, that uh, something to cover up the performance uh, uh, or, or the loss and not the loss wasn't that bad well, I, had, I don't
0: know if it can be premeditation if he's reacting to something that well, how did he even know how, how, how did he even know so that, I suppose these things can get back to him
5: but how would unless you had somebody watching Twitter or watching commentaries and I think I've heard that before maybe the, his people listening to the Sunday game at halftime and things like that um so I think that's all a little bit weird but um but I actually in the bigger picture I had said in my, in my article in the mail on Sunday that I think Wexford had had a fantastic year up to now uh, the the one promotion they got to an iron quarter final at the start of the year that would've been seen as massive like to get, to get promotion from division 1b after all the years they've been trying so I thought um I think I've been very balanced in my in my uh, view of Wexford the sweeper system is a long bugbear of mine mm-hmm. um I even hate using the word in terms of hurling but but you know Again, with, with Waterford, and he brought Derek into it, I would say that Waterford have committed to that f- system now. Uh, earlier in the year, they played Cork. They didn't know what to do. They sort of started 15-15, and 15, then they kind of went back to it. Then they didn't, and it didn't work. So they obviously made up their mind after that. Look, we're going to play this way. That's it. And if that's it, that's it. I don't like it. Whether they can win All-Ireland doing it, I don't know. And certainly without tight to burke I don't think they can.
0: The point he makes, though, about th- these successful counties that or these, if you take it from the point of view of Wexford and Waterford, the counties that are less successful. Wexford haven't won a, a Ireland, two All-Irelands in the last 50 years. Waterford have won zero in that time. So the point he makes about having to try something different, I think is, is that not quite a valid one? That if you just, Wexford and Waterford have for years gone out and hurled and not won All-Irelands. So they do actually have to try something slightly radical.
5: Yeah, maybe so. If you don't have the players, if you don't believe in your players uh, to that extent, I would argue maybe Wexford aren't there yet uh so you're betting down a team you do it for the first year they made good progress fair enough Waterford I would think uh with the success in 21 last year with the players they have um that really that they should be ready to kick on but obviously they're not happy with that and and that's the point when Derek McGrath I've made this point before when Derry McGrath took over Waterford they had recently, before that, uh, conceded seven goals in the Munster final at Tipperary. He couldn't go in and do the same thing, so he had to go in and obviously shore up the defence, start from there, uh, get competitive. They've been in all-earned semi-finals, but at some stage, I would have argued that they need to move on with that. Um, But you can see over the last few matches, they are beginning to learn to use the ball better. They are putting over Putting up much bigger scores, so you know, I could be proven wrong on this one. You know, maybe Waterford can go and win an All Ireland playing like this because of the personnel that they have. Brick Walsh is coming back into form policing and is able to score from distance. They're winning plenty of freeze, they're very athletic. They're sacrificing two or two forwards at least to work extremely hard until they're worn out and then they have the subs to bring on. So they have developed the system to a very, very high level. And whether it's good enough will remain to be seen.
0: Sorry, Owen, we've left you. Listening there for a while. What do you reckon? Is there is there enough in the way Waterford are approaching at the moment? Because they have they've, they've uh, yeah, as the point is made in papers this morning they've cemented their place as a top four team. Now they are into the O'Fallon uh, semi final for the third year in a row. Are they doing enough based on what you saw against Wexford?
2: Yeah, and Derek I think made that very clear. Yes, in his interview afterwards that this is their third year in a row back in the semi final. But you know they were probably they're a seasoned team now at the moment. They know their system inside out. Um, if you have Tige De Burka as a seventh defender. You're nearly playing with eight the way Stephen O'Keefe played yesterday. Like you know, I, mean? I thought he was brilliant. yesterday. his distribution with the ball when he got it. Usually last season, and even with the club, maybe they're going to be prone to the odd mistake or two. But he seems to have worked on that. So you could say they're nearly playing with eight defenders now because you know if, if a cornerback is caught, he swoops around. Stephen O'Keefe is on his shoulder, but um, you know, I think they're set up ideal now you know i agree with michael there against cork the first day i didn't know what they were doing um derek sometimes nearly plays a different system or he did previously for the first kind of 12 13 minutes then he had a different shape for the next 12 13 minutes and a different shape even coming up to half time. he's previously worked on things like that but i think it's just more simple now he's playing with a sweeper he has austin gleason in a central position and you know the brick Walches, kevin mourns you know what i mean brick for the first half an hour yes it 45 minutes was awesome ran out of steam then on came a fresh player you know as the year goes on we'll say maybe even Tom Devine's absence might become more prominent because he's probably a younger version of Brick Walsh and he was having a he's was having fantastic form you know so I'm sure Derek Walsh or Derek McGrath loves to have him sitting on the bench maybe even there but you know that's for another day but i think water have cemented themselves as a, as a top uh, four team it's facts uh, they they're contesting their third order in the semi-final um you know i thought against kilkenny they got their four goals i thought they might decide right now we've got to taste the taste of goals we'll push on here a bit like and see can we can we get in because with austin gleeson their center forward when he runs at the defences or takes the ball coming off the shoulder he opens up the whole thing like you know but there seem to be just I suppose it's in their mentality to take points like but um, you know back back to the sweeper system and look I wouldn't be probably I've never I've never played it really because obviously in Tipperary, and I remember Amy O'Shea one day stand up in the restroom as long as I'm involved and that was my last last involvement I will never go to sweeper system you know but you know Claire have one knowledge you could say using it 2013, Um 2013 and Michael is saying it there and always argument there that Wexford you know they have I've got back down at the top table. We'd say, you know, last year they were beating the quarterfinal by 10 or 11 points. there's only four points yesterday. You know, Davia has brought that enjoyment back to the Wexford dressing room and players and supporters and all that, you know. But uh, it's just to get the mix right. For me, if you attack, if Wexford probably had to attack yesterday, get four or five points on the board, then they could have implied that maybe sweeper system. So I'd use a system, I'd use that system, If you're three or four pints ahead, and I found clear in 2013 when they got four or five pints ahead, sweepers was very hard to break down. But the key thing here is to get that four or five pints ahead. And the only way probably you get those scored on the board is by probably attacking. Now, I know Watford done it yesterday, but that was all through Wexford's own errors by fouling giving away a needless freeze and that put them to four or five points up so it'd be, Owen, you know. it'd,
5: it will uh, be Michael it will be a lonely place um, I, I imagine inside that full forward line now against Waterford you know with one player maybe in there you know that that's the thing that I, I see you know against the top teams they'll find a way like you saw you saw Tipperary last year in the Munster final against Waterford the way they just completely took Ty de Burke out of the game. Like to watch where he was going. They were strong enough to break the tackle in the half back line and then pick the other ball away from Burka. and with diagonal runs and with diagonal ball they were able to quite easily overcome it and and ball win the ability in the air. Um I, I like I just I just think that, you know, yesterday at Wexford you have Connor McDonald who to me is a top forward. Jack Guiney who's a top forward. Lee Chin got on a lot of ball, he was getting on it Hundred yards plus from the from the Waterford goals, he was no real threat out there, you know. Um, and the we just forcing them to poke the ball down to the loose man all the time, you know. So like where Waterford have developed it a little bit more now is that they're actually looking up more. They're trying to pick out while Austin Gleason is central, he's drifting very loose out to the wings, trying to pick up the ball. So they have probably developed it that much more. But I'm just I, I I just still can't see when they come under pressure and a, a hard tackling forward like Galway or like Tip that have that strength. To put you under pressure. They're going to force Waterford just to poke the ball out to the loose man and and uh, well that's obviously Carter playing the next day, so that won't that won't matter. But Yeah, yeah. you have
2: probably said it there, Michael, too. Like I think you know, if they had six top class forwards, both teams, Watford and Wexford, it might be a different issue. But I think both managers, if they're to call it maybe straight, and they're not going to say it obviously. They probably don't have six top class forwards. Tibreri at the minute do you see the previous Kilkenny teams, they did Galway at the moment have six top class forwards. So, to be honest with you, you know, not every team every season swings around with six top class forwards. So that's probably obviously the reasoning behind it. Like you know what I mean. So it's a uh, no. Look, it's it's inter- it's interesting. But you know, if either team, if if Waterford turn around and win the All Ireland, they'll probably have proven a lot of doubters or, or wrong, and probably have at at the minute with the with the way they play.
0: Michael, the draw is good though, isn't it? A good one for a couple of reasons for Waterford. In that, well, the main reason being that you've got this revenge factor. I don't know how much you, how much story you put in that kind of thing, but I would have thought for the Galway management for Galway, for, sorry, the Waterford management and players, it's a pretty good motivation to be going into an All Ireland semi final with against Cork.
5: Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think um, they had they had a big break before the Cork game. They had eleven weeks with no match. They had no club matches. Like they've taken a massive gamble, I suppose, in terms of that this year, but. I said this before yesterday that I just get the feeling that they're going to improve a lot because of their matches. You know, they've got they got a good draw then against Offaly. To I, I don't think you can underestimate t- beating Kilkenny. You know, to take that pressure off of County, off the people of Waterford, what it must have meant to them. Um, and I think yesterday was just about getting the job done. You know, they were they were, they were uh, professional about it. Like the four points in the end, they probably wanted a little bit more comfortable than that. Um, so, you know, I think there will be it'll be a completely different game against Cork. And at the same time, Cork are you know a young team to get to Crow Park um, that extra bit of room you'd imagine with their forwards is going to suit them so uh, if Ty De Burka is suspended this is going to be the key thing really here Like um, w- while I'm saying I'm not a fan of the sweeper system but Waterford are going to play like that and he is the key man obviously but I think even I would have been a little bit critical of the way he played it maybe even last year that, that in terms of he didn't really know where he was to be but he seems to have really mastered he's attacking the ball so the rest of the backs know that if the ball comes in he's going for it should it's he th- be suspended well I and I'm not sitting on the fence on this one I found it what I saw of it yesterday I didn't see the Sunday game last night how close up they got but I saw the match live yesterday it was, it was just like a man blocked his run and he pulled him back but if, if the linesman said he interfered with the face guard he's gone because right. that's the rule
0: uh, what about James Callan for a tip <laughs>
5: uh, Owen is this, uh, this elbow injury that he had
0: uh, he seems to be okay they're all saying it's going to be fine is that a bit of a smoke screen? will there be a, a few fears about uh, Callan for the semi-final
2: I don't think so no I don't think so I think uh, he'll be okay now look I don't know have they done any the x-rays or the scans or anything like that like if it was a a broken bone or some damaged chip bone or that, that's hard to play with. But, you know, for me, the last couple of years, Seamus Callan has been throwing himself into tackles. And the one tackle that stands to, to, to me is today against Limerick in. in in the Gaelic Grounds, two thousand and fifteen, when he lost a couple of teeth, like so. That's the frame of mind he is in at the minute. Um, you can see that in his play. So I, I take bear. He has a, a very, very bad injury, a leg break or something. Wouldn't stop James Cannon at the moment. So I'd expect him to be, to be okay. But look, if he's missing, it'll be a serious worry for Tiberi. But I don't think he will be there now. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, their problems seem you know, to be at the other forwards, end of the field as well. Tip forwards as a unit are just on song. Yeah, they're on fire. they really are. They're, yeah, yeah. T- teamwork and that is top class at the minute. So he, he's he's
0: essential to that. At the other end of the field, though is where the issues lie for the moment. It's funny, the keeper, the entire full back line is completely different at one stage yesterday or on Saturday, I should say, to the starting team in the all Ireland final last year. That's yeah. a huge amount yeah. of turnover. What's going on there?
2: It is. And I think it's just confidence. I think it's a thing with confidence in players. And I suppose, look, if the management look at it, the probably disappointing thing for me would be they had a favourable draw, Westmeath and Dublin, and maybe didn't settle their back line. So they've beaten Clare and um, got over the line against Clare. So they're now in all Ireland semi-final and still haven't got a settled back line so I suppose that's a disappointing thing for me because you know you would have probably taken a chance against Westmeath and Dublin especially when you're at home I mean look lads there's going to be bigger f- f- fish here to fry down the road so we need to get it right but I don't think they've got it right so you know it's okay at one end they're outscoring the rest of the the teams they play against but it is a worrying factor and I think guys' confidence are very low between their keeper and their full back line um, see James Barry coming off you know, it's, uh, it's worrying. Don Amar was a plus. He was a big plus. Um, you know, everyone is calling probably for Carl for Barrett to come back in. But I don't know. Is is McGrane going to make that decision? Um, you know, is he going to stick by his guns and, and leave him off? And, uh, you know, he's only two weeks to, if you put that right, he's only a week to call Kyle Barrett back in. But I, I doubt he, he will have maybe at this stage. But it would be a great boost to Brayer if he did. But, you know, Michael is making some decisions and he seems to be stick by them. But their confidence in the full-back line and the, with the goalkeeper... Is is very low at the minute, and I think our opposition will uh, will definitely be targeting that.
0: It's funny for all Ireland champions, isn't it, Michael? You'd expect the whole team to have nothing but self belief.
5: Yeah, I, I I just think on that. I think Kyle Barrett got injured right before the incident. He was going to be out for that for the for the period of time. Uh, James Barry is puzzling to me because I thought last year he had a fantastic year. He's not naturally a full-back. Uh, I think Owen would probably know more about that from Club Harlem, You know, centre-back, wing-back, uh, but had had a great year last year. And Michael Cahill, I suppose Michael has been on the go, that maybe the leg's going a bit so there might have been a change. Donovan, as, as Owen said, I thought he he really stuck to his task well. But there's two serious problems there and then no real confidence in the goalkeeping position at the moment. You know, It's up in the air, uh, which is, it's it's a very, very unusual that they're in that situation. Um, I think what you're probably going to see to compensate for that is their forwards are playing so well. You'll see them up in their work rate. Like I think Bonner Maher is just slowly but surely coming back to his best. I think you know the last day he did a lot of good work. Probably had two or three more chances he could have just tipped over the bar, but he was running with the ball. He's getting back to full fitness, But you'll see them working hard up the other end of the field. I thought their midfielders were quite breen and and Brendan Maher were very quiet against Clare, uh, but their half back line getting stronger, but not. Seamus Kennedy's not having the year he had last year He was in big trouble on Bobby Duggan in the second half that to move Parik Maher over. Um so these are these are serious problems when go, it's Galway next up for them. A lot of a lot of these problems are going to be exploited surely. Well you'd imagine Galway going to try to exploit them, but the one thing about you would say that Tipperary are the All Ireland champions. They'll go to Crow Park with confidence, and sometimes when there's a question mark over a defence like that as a unit, maybe it'll galvanise them. You know what I mean? Maybe they'll say, "Hold on now, we're Tipperary, we're back here, we're the All Ireland champions." Yeah, something like,
0: exactly that happened with Kilkenny a few years back after the drawn game against Tip, which was yeah. a shootout, and they they've said since the Kilkenny defenders decided the one thing this is not going to be is a shootout the next time. So you can you can change your mindset at least. Uh, yeah, you, but, but, you know. but
2: on that one they probably had the same six, well, four or five defenders that was a. Uh, played both days whereas I think Michael has mentioned two guys there Brendan Maher and maybe Michael Breen both those have uh, defensive experience we'll say you know what I mean like even maybe a shift of Brendan Maher back into the half back line might you might allow you maybe to move one of the Maher's back into the full back line or something like that you know it just it, it feels to me that that's no the Maher would, would, would hate to be shifted out of half back line, but it just feels to me that it's something like that that's needed to just galvanize that, that back line as a unit on, on the hurling front.
0: Yeah, I did want to ask you about Claire's performance in particular. The amount of wides they hit, because there's so much, and we've even been doing today analyze analysis of sweeper systems and, and the tactical approaches that teams make. But for a sport that is lauded for the high skill level that everybody can see when watching it, how can you have a team near the top level of it hitting 19 wides, some of which were just appalling on a on a big day?
2: Yeah, when. Well- Parker Cueve was new to the four teams last weekend, and you know, like you could even see to be honest with you, the amount of white concrete behind the goals is sometimes off putting. And I used to often find that in Croke Park at the Hill 16 end when it was packed to the rafters, you just see the two posts. But when it was maybe a quarter final and not such a big crowd there, when you're not used to playing there week in, week out, you know what I mean? you sometimes the goalposts would mix in with the concrete at the back, like so the goalposts wouldn't be as clear now. You know, you had four teams that the first time playing in the new Pocket Creef, yes. So I might put some of the, the way we're shooting down to uh down to that there, yes, it just not being used to the the pitch. Now on Claire's side as well, I thought they took some pot shots, some sixty, seventy yards. And they have been doing that even in the monster final that were crazy. So they obviously haven't learned. but you know, I would put something into uh the new surroundings of Pocket Creef which, which I added to the wise uh, last weekend.
5: What did you make at the new stadium? you know brilliant facility down there i think probably just on the day the pitch was very slippy you could see that again yesterday i think it's particularly under the i think it's the south stand they call it uh, certainly players struggling to keep their feet um but but a fen- fen- phenomenal uh, 4g pitch there as well with 2000 seats up at the back of the stand to look down on that i think as a winter facility for fitzgibbon and for colleges it'll be fantastic but uh, but on uh, i don't think it was more just on the Clare shooting i uh, just briefly yeah. I, I i didn't it wasn't really. You'll always have wides, but I thought they were in. They were so strong inside in the full forward line. Shane O'Donnell looked so sharp. Conor McGrath, you know, Aaron Cunningham got the two goals and two chances. And there was m- so many occasions when they could have just played the ball in the simple ball, thirty forty yards in front of the full forward line, and they chose to have it was their decision making and their shooting. To look
0: for goals or just to allow the inside forward line to take easier
5: points. Yeah, let them develop the thing inside, right. you know, and uh, maybe with lads coming off the shoulder. But uh, and you'd have to say about Clare against Cork, they hit the po- crossbar, they hit the post, they had loads of chances, even though. They were reasonably well beaten in the end. The same last uh, Saturday, I thought again they had loads and loads of chances. Even though Tipperary were probably marginally the better team, just on the base. I thought the two McGraths in particular, Bubbles and Seamus Shem's Callan, seventeen points from play between the four of them. Um, but like that's not going to happen every day. But I, I, Clare had those half chances, and while there'll be a lot of criticism of Clare, you know they're actually to me they're missing David McInerney, they're missing Aaron Shanahan, you know key players, and to me they're not far off to finish article.
0: All right. Well, this is Michael we'll wait Alright well listen Mike. we'll wait to see what
5: controversy you're in uh, in the next couple no, of weeks No more I'm going to ground, <laughs> I've got
0: it, to ground. Well hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you close to the semi-finals thanks very much thanks very much Owen Thanks lads What you? What are you
1: saying? You're just a phony man this is just for acting I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day it's supposed to look This ain't the wrestling this ain't the WWE baby My belly's just a little big my heart is just a little big This is just an act that you're doing you should be an actor But brother I am bad and they know I'm bad
5: I'll never do that. There
4: were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother, and the other was you can, you can run around like you a preacher and all that you want, but, baby, I promise
5: you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that.
0: So, I think Michael Dignan has given an answer there to the criticism leveled at him by Davy Fitzgerald after the match. But on the more general point, Ken, what do you make of Davy's idea that you should really have managerial experience as a prerequis- prerequisite for TV analysis. Just
4: the kind of nonsense that um, that managers always come out with when they can't think of any uh, any better argument just to attack the credentials of the people who have criticised them.
0: Well, it's funny. There used to be a "show us your medals" mentality, as as in you have to have played the game at the highest yeah, levels. What happens? Problem
4: when, when the guy criticising you, if it's Henry Shefflin has got ten, <laughs> yeah, 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 medals. Yeah, yeah. So you have to think of something else. <laughs> You've never managed Shefflin. What do you really know? About I don't know how much time
0: Shefflin's had. Uh, uh, you know, put together a stellar management career up to this point. Yeah, I mean, but
4: I mean, f- fair enough. Like, I suppose he's he thinks he has to do that to defend his team. But everyone can see that it's, you know. It's it's silly. It's not really. Um, I mean, it, it, <laughs> sorry. Obviously, it's the kind of thing where your opinion of it will be dictated by which county you are from and how you feel about the counties to begin with.
0: Or in particular, maybe when it's somebody as divisive as David Fitzgerald, whether you're a David Fitzgerald fan. Do you think David
4: Fitzgerald is a uh, a legend, the the soul, the beating heart of our sport, or b a lunatic who uh, says more than his prayers? Mm. So depending on your opinion there, that might dictate your opinion on the other thing.
0: Oshin's here. O'Shean has how's the form? Owen, how's things? Pretty good. Now, Murph sends his apologies. He's away for the week, but he has asked me to pass on one question to you. What the hell did you see in Donegal at the start of the <laughs> summer? <laughs> <laughs>
6: uh, yeah, I'm so glad. I was so glad he wasn't here too. But uh, Donegal, flattered to deceive. Uh, I think they were probably a lot better than everybody else to start the league. Um... The under-21s were playing regular football. Mm. Rory Gallagher gave them no leeway, no time off, no break. So they played midweek on the Wednesday night with under-21s. Played league matches at the weekend. They trained with the seniors. Uh, To be honest, it looked as if that was working for them in that the more football they were getting, the more uh, comfortable they looked at that level. And then come championship, they looked completely uncomfortable. Even the Antrim game, uh, you know, they struggled for the first 20 minutes and and because I had sort of nailed my colours to the mass at that stage, (laughs) what I was thinking was what they're doing is uh, they're letting people believe that you can play the ball into the full forward lane, that you can run through the middle of them, and that when it comes to the nitty-gritty, when it comes to the big games, as soon as you get through that middle, you get absolutely pummeled. Turns out they don't have any pommelers anymore. No,
0: that was the most striking aspect, wasn't it? They were
6: quite feeble in defence, really. They were really flat. Hmm. I thought they were really flat. Uh, No matter who gets the ball in the middle of the field, they want Michael Murphy coming off the shoulder. If they don't see Michael Murphy, they'll probably not pop it. They'll get uh, caught in possession. They'll get turned over because physically they're not what they need to be. Um, Neil McGee's getting really exposed now because uh, he doesn't have the number of players back Frank McGlynn at number 11 hmm. not really no. not really happening Um, and it, it, they looked like a team that was just searching for something that just wasn't wasn't there at least well probably two of the goals to to be fair to,
0: I know we haven't said anything nice about Galway yet we, we'll, we'll get to Galway but it was just so striking to see how soft a couple of the goals were there were, Possession just handed over to Galway in and around. So it's not even handed handed over at the halfway line, and then Galway works something. It's almost handed it over to them around the
6: twenty-one, and off you go, score a goal. Well, when Comer turned uh, Kieran Gillespie, and one on went over the lane, I mean, you never get in. You would never ever dream of getting in in along the end lane. You know, with, with McGinnis's teams, or maybe not even last year. If we're going to be fair about it. Um, the rating has been on the wall for them for some time, but once you see things like got, ball popped across, man in the square. I mean, there's great hands from, from Galway. Mm-hmm. Uh, they deserve so much credit for uh, for the way they played, the way they attacked the game. Um, but once you see that happening from the Donegal point of view, they didn't seem to be covering for each other. Uh, they seemed to be able to, to be wanting to pass the buck. Once I seen him getting beat on the end lane, it happened... About three times in the first half that the that the goal with, uh goal was were able to turn their defender and get along the end lane I mean why is that particularly why is that so bad? Well, because whenever you beat somebody whenever you used to beat a dunny goal player on the outside, you used to come face to face with somebody else, then you used to try and get the ball and try and pop it out, but the man you're actually marking is there, so you're caught in a corner over carrying, probably get a shoulder, probably get a few variables from Neil McGee. And, you know, you come out absolutely deflated. And you just won't try it again. Yeah, you come out absolutely deflated. And, uh, and and probably if you if you were analysing them over the last couple of years, you'd probably say, let's not do that because that gives them so much momentum uh, in every sort of way. It uh, gives the whole team a lift. Even when Donegal did a couple of good things early on, there was, didn't seem to be any, you know, I know we associate the old fist pump more with the hurlers and that, but there didn't seem to be any real drive behind it or any belief behind it. Paddy McBrady looked as if he was more or less playing alone for a up front. Ray McHugh didn't even look that energe- as energetic as he as he usually is. Uh, so what did I see in them? Go back to your question. What did I see in them? I just thought that if they're going to play the way... They, uh, they had two choices. As I said this at the start, had two choices. First choice was to completely change their personnel, mm-hmm. which they did or completely change their style of play. Now, I don't believe they changed their style of play, but I just don't think that the personnel that was there were able to play that way. They look tired and bored with the way that they're playing. I think, whether it be Rory Gallagher or whoever is with that team next year, they really need to change things. <laughs> you know, in a, Tactically. In a, yeah, in a big, big way. Uh, maybe even play a little bit more traditional. With, with Murphy at the edge of the square, he looks like a... Like a player who's really pissed off and fed off with things, to be honest. And then obviously the black card was an often black card, but uh, that was just indicative of the way things were going for them. Galway then, must be about the hardest team to read in
0: the Championship <coughs> this year. They go and knock Mayo out, then get annihilated really by Roscommon in the Connacht kind of final. Come out, beat Donegal pretty easily. What's going on here? The,
6: the, only th- the only thing you could say about Galway is that maybe the... Rain doesn't really suit them all that much, because uh you know they're really underperformed. I just think that they they were slightly complacent going into that game, and then you're thinking if it's a dry day in Crow Park, there's a team that has a real chance. Then you realise they're playing Kerry. If it's a dry pitch, what would Kerry do to that defence? Um, it 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 throws a lot of spanners in the walk in the works. Goal's performance And how abject Donny Goal were Because then you have to Relate that back to Tyrone Mm. And suddenly You realise We're still talking Dublin and Kerry Yeah Uh, Goal have got a tough Ask on their hands But That will give them Serious That will give them Serious confidence I just think Probably Have been let down A little bit by the draw In that You know They're unlucky That they ended up Playing Kerry In a quarter final. Because uh, at this stage, Galway are definitely a top six team. So if we had Super 8s at this stage and Galway were in it, that's where they, that's where a team like Galway would need to be. Sort of up into Division 1. Mm-hmm. They need to establish themselves now and they need to put in a good performance against Kerry. Can't really see them beating Kerry, but that was a serious recovery the other day, albeit against a Donegal team that's... Bucked. Yeah, that's let you down, is that what you (laughs) are going to say. That's let us see McConville down.
0: Mayo Cork, uh, Mayo's win after extra time Was this one of those weird, very rare games in knockout football where
6: the result was... I mean, everybody emerges with credit, really. Yeah. You know how much stick we've given Cork Mm. over the last number of years uh, on this show, and and a lot of it has been warranted, but I thought they battled and fought and did what they called the other day. Um. Again, it's a difficult one to assess, really, because it's very difficult to know where Mayo are at now. You know, because you know they could have been dumped out against Derry, uh, and you think, right, that's the warning shot that that they needed. Um, and at the weekend again, like you know, you think seven points up, kick a couple more scores and just you know ease out, but. They just don't seem to be able to do that. No, it's like uh, it's like something goes off inside their head life is too easy. Let's
0: complicate it. They must be the best team to support in Ireland. Oh, and no. I say I say that as a Dublin fan <laughs> who's been winning a lot of All Irelands lately, but it's got to be. Uh, I think it's uh, dramatic think, if
6: nothing else. I think it has to be the worst. Really, I, I think it has to be the worst because. But the, so much value for money. Oh, you definitely you get pay value your, for you pay money. Bit of money into a, well, into I tell a you, you I tell what you something. should do. I think what you should do if you're a neutral go and watch Mayo. Mm. If you're a neutral, follow them around the country. <laughs> you don't have to be a Mayo supporter. Follow them around the country and you might find it a lot easier to deal with the heartache because uh, the rating is on the wall for them again, but they've got Roscommon now, mm-hmm. which gives them a real opportunity to get into another semi-final.
0: Uh, Kevin McStay, by the way, has named a team already. I don't know if yeah. you saw this. He's named his team a week in advance. The same team. He's done,
6: he's done that. All, he's actually done that all year. Yeah. Um. Maybe it's because he's he's previously been in the media and he feels if that's going to really help people out, but that probably won't be the team that he plays. So yeah, it won't make any difference really.
0: The point about. Mayo that was made in the years when they were winning winning Connacht pretty easily it was seen that they were having it too easy that they weren't getting tested and that actually the back door might eventually suit them now that they're in this phase where they've lost that domination in Connacht I guess this year more so than last year is the one that people who initially made that argument would look at this summer and say well maybe this is what they need they need to go to Derry and dig out a win after extra time they need to go and play Cork and dig out a win after extra time I don't necessarily buy into that I don't think there's any harm Destroying all the teams in your province yeah. as a means to get towards an All Ireland final, but I, I can see the point that they're
6: they're they're
0: battle hardened if nothing else this
6: year. No, I back up that argument. The only thing that takes away from that is the fact that that they had to dig so deep at the weekend. And they had to go to extra time, and now they have to play uh, on Saturday oh, on Sunday again. Do you know what I mean? So what he, what has been uh, benefit the benefit of playing those tough games. And the fact that they went to extra time and they had to go a to and they had to bring certain they had to bring different players off the bench who who probably you could say made some sort of difference to them uh, definitely makes them battle hardened but also is bound to take its toll, mm. both mentally and physically, you know. Um, and I think I still think I still maintain that. The, it looks as if their confidence has taken a bit of a bashing, and it took another bit of a bashing at the weekend because I'm pretty sure that going into that game, they they expected to take care of Cork, I wouldn't say easily, but uh, without a lot of fuss, and they were right on course to do that. And as I say, bring into this weekend, as you say, fairly battle hardened, uh, games under the belt, mm. key players, you know, getting seventy minutes. And yet, they've played what? What did they play at the weekend? A hundred, a uh, hundred minutes an hour, and forty minutes. So or you're whatever saying that's, it was. That, that's too much. That's, probably that's a week much before a thing. Events. It is probably a lot to expect. A lot of the players have, you know, a lot of miles on the clock, mm. and it is probably a lot to expect. But you just don't know what them. They could turn up at the weekend and absolutely blow or coming away, or they could, you know, they could they could come and bring an abject performance. But. Uh, I expect him to get over us, Common.
0: Is Killian O'Connor
6: an underrated footballer, Rashi? He certainly is an underrated footballer. He is? Yeah, he is an underrated footballer. One of the things that people don't appreciate about Killian O'Connor is the amount of work that he has to put in off the ball. Yeah. That a Brogan or a McManus or a, a Sean Kavanaugh maybe has to put in off the ball. The tackling he does. Because a lot of time he's t- obviously t- there's, you know, it's two on three in there all the time. You know, he's the man who, when the short kick out comes, came for cork. He was the man who had to go to the first man, popped over his head. He's going to the second man. He's trying to get in there to be a focus for the attack. Uh, it's not helped by the fact uh, that Andy Mourns in alongside him. Andy Mourns done really well. He's a, he's a good target man in there. But he wouldn't have the legs that, you know, one of the younger Aloftus or somebody like that would have. But uh, as I say, Andy Moore's done well enough to to maintain his place. But it's Kilden O'Connor is not helped by the fact that he doesn't have enough legs around him in that full forward line. Plus the fact that they're bringing the sweeper back, that means they are playing, you know, three five against six. You know, up front, the ah. amount of work he does and the amount of tackling he does alone, without
0: the amount of important scores he kicks. Well, this is it, because you're constantly hearing that they don't have a marquee forward, and yet there's this guy who, again, at the weekend, digs him out six points from play, a 45 to effectively win it, four more points from freeze, a dummy solo at one stage. Like, to me, is all the tricks in the bag. But you've put me on another course now by... Having a pop at Andy Moore. and Paul Andy Moran, the, the longer he goes and the more he produces these performances where he kicks a load of points in play, the more the likes of yourself
6: sit here and say no, no, they no, need to move no, past Andy Mourne. No, no, at this stage. no, it's not that they need to move past Andy Moran. it's the need, they need some legs in alongside Andy Moran. I don't actually know, I still don't know why the Mayo play a sweeper. I just, I don't know, I don't know because he's completely, he's totally an utterly bypassed. The only thing they got out of their sweeper at the weekend was when Higgins actually broke free and said to go up the field and fist over a point. Mm. So it meant that he had nobody marking him and that he was free and that the cork didn't pick him up from the halfway line or the 45 like they probably would have uh, planned to do before the game. So Annie Moore is doing a good job in there. Andy Moore's not a 70-minute player right now. And as I say, they don't have enough, enough legs in there. Can I put it like this, to you about Killian O'Connor? Okay, mm-hmm. put Killian O'Connor in a Dublin team, right? So he doesn't have to do the work that he's doing on that Mayo team, and that he's inside, and that his only responsibility really is uh, win primary possession and kick the ball over the bar. Then we're, <laughs> Happy talk- days. Then we're talking about <laughs> an absolute superstar. Yeah. I mean, like Conor McManus, like you know. Monaghan are a very hard working team, but Conor McManus's job within that team is to kick the ball over the bar. And you could watch them a thousand times and you'd realise that that is what he's been told to do. Wherever he has to go in order to do that, whatever whoever he has to take the ball off, whatever runs he has to make, that's his primary role. Killian O'Connor looks as if he possibly has four or five roles within that within mm-hmm. that team, within that four lane. That makes life uh, so much more difficult for him but as you say what does that make him as a player you know that makes him completely invaluable I'm just picturing that image of Killian O'Connor in a Dublin jersey I've got to say it looks amazing on, I think this
0: could possibly work yeah great idea Killian O'Connor for Dublin we'll leave it on that thanks a million thanks all
2: modern-day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ear. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us.
0: You're smiling as much as I am, Ken. What do you make of that? Killing O'Connor for the dubs, huh? Who would be your choice if Jim Gavin, if you were Jim Gavin and you were told right now you could have any player from another county?
4: Uh, it's. I wouldn't take one, to be honest. We've already heard so much I, I don't. I don't see the quality that would get in the team. I don't see. You don't think
0: any other player from any other county would get in the Dublin there, team? There
4: isn't anybody. Who, there isn't really anybody who's right. who stands out for me as. Yeah, you know, I definitely, I definitely take this player if mm.
0: they were available. Killian O'Connor wouldn't do it for you, know Conor McManus. I just don't there. see where would they fit in. Ma- Michael Murphy. Think Michael Murphy could do a job for you. Where would Michael Murphy? You could put him in full forward, perhaps. Tend just... him Cooper out of retirement.
4: I don't know even if at his best he would have made it into this... Cullen Cooper? Side, no. At his very best. Well, he, I, Wouldn't I, have I, got in ahead of O'No O'Gara last lovely, weekend. Lovely player. Lovely player, mm-hmm. but... Does he really hurt you? Is that what does, you're does, going to say? Does, does he <laughs> play the game with the kind of intensity, <laughs> the kind of intensity that Dublin have... I mean, Dublin's taking the game to new levels. You know what I mean? It's a new... It's, a, it's an all-new sport, and they're the only ones playing it. So it's a bit like that, that debate that you sometimes get in um, football... You know, does a certain uh, super talented goal scorer really give you enough? Mm. You know, I mean, we all know the, I mean, Sergio Aguero might be a current example of that. Sergio Aguero scores a lot of goals, like top scorer in the Premier League over the last five years. But is it enough?
0: What about the passing Cullum Cooper that emerged in later years, sometimes played in and around the half forward line? Threading through balls into the full forwards. Still, well, still no joy. Nobody's getting in.
4: Well, this is the thing, you know. Was that was that in response to a sort of a slowing down? Was that an adaptation? You know, an intelligent player makes an adaptation. He's lost a yard. The problem with this team is that nobody's lost a yard. If you lose a yard, then another guy steps forward into that yard, mm. and that's the machine that Dublin are, and and that's the way that it's. I mean, i I've, just the, the complaints, the, the the moaning, the the. You know, the suggestions of partition, financial penalties. You know, I hear a lot of it from you know, people like Ewan McKenna. You know, he tell, him, tell me that this game is, is, is finished uh, because of the level that Dublin have taken. It down. And I say, uh, it seems impossible now, but where Dublin have led, the rest will follow. I, you know, they not have raised the bar and I think in a couple of the other counties will be able to get over it. You know, the same way that, that Ronaldo was able to drag all that extra quality out of himself in response to the apparently impossible standards being set.
0: I'm just saying, have some faith in yourselves.
5: I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says
0: about football. Fantastic contribution, Ken, I'm sure. Anton O'Toole and Jimmy Keaveney and the boys would be Proud of you there today. Thanks very much for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. We have got a football podcast out today. We've got our World Service pods out all week, as per usual. If you become a World Service member, in the meantime, oh, just enjoy the rest of your day. I suppose I've got no more life advice for you than that. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Alan. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you later. Is that's is the second time it's gone off.
2: Oh, they never go home. They never go home. They
4: never go home. Those those those